This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. A one, two, three, four... Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi there, folks. I'm Amy Wright. Today, I'm really excited to share a conversation that I recently had with sisters Eleanor and Bonnie Whitmore, two highly accomplished singer-songwriters who are releasing their first album together as the Whitmore Sisters. Titled Ghost Stories, the album is inspired by the loss of family, friends, ex-boyfriends, and on the title track, people who have died by police violence. These ghosts chose to appear right as COVID became entrenched, when live music evaporated and people were isolated from each other. We dig into how this new record was produced by Chris Masterson and how ultimately Ghost Stories' cathartic songs embrace the beauty and the experience of living. What came from lockdown and shared experiences, hiking the Grand Canyon at five, playing bars at 15, getting their pilot's licenses, or just embracing the beauty of living is an album to take you places and make you feel so alive. Eleanor says she's always liked Woody Guthrie's way of looking at it. Music is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome the Whitmore sisters to the Diddy TV podcast. Eleanor and Bonnie, welcome to Diddy TV. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You are sisters, and it is not hard to tell that you are sisters. (laughs) (laughs) What gives it away? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what gives it away, but um, it could be just your beautiful voices, because I just got finished listening to your album, Ghost Stories, and the harmonies are incredible. They're, They're harmonies that only sisters or brothers can do. It's that 
It's that, uh, those Blood tight harmony. harmonies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so where did you guys grow up? Uh, we grew up in Denton, Texas, um, and uh, just north of Dallas and Fort Worth. So what was your life like growing up? I mean, your, was your family musical at all? or? Uh, yes. <laughs> our, um, I think we have a very unconventional uh, childhood. Our mom uh, is an opera singer. Our dad is a folk singer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in addition to that whole thing, then they're both pilots. And so we just had a very adventurous uh, childhood flying around and um, trying to keep up with them, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can remember going to school in junior high and somebody was like, what did you do this weekend? And I was like, oh, I played a bar with my dad. And they were just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so did your dad have a band? Uh, he did. He had a band with us called Daddy and the Divas. Were you all the Divas? Yeah. Yes. And, but Mama. Mama's the literal diva, though. The, the mom the, diva. You know, the opera singing prowess <laughs> so did she actually perform opera or was was mm-hmm. she just oh wow she did her her main role was uh la traviata um and uh she um she taught and performed a lot in denton and um uh, growing up i can remember she was working on her uh her doctorate in performance and um performed quite a bit growing up mm-hmm. so so you had a built-in vocal coach pretty uh, much yeah yeah <laughs> Well, she definitely have, let us know yeah. if we weren't doing it correctly. For sure. I'm so. sure. Of course, she had a lot of uh, talent to work with, so that's that's helpful. Yeah. And obviously, you know, your dad sang too. So what kind of music did Daddy and the Divas play? Well, I always think this is kind of interesting because um, a lot of the songs that we came to were like our dad's versions of the songs. So, you know, we were listening to the Beatles and Bob Dylan and but not hearing the original versions, we were hearing my dad's interpretations of it. But he was also a songwriter, so, you know, as kids, we didn't really know which songs were his and which songs were Bob Dylan's. Yeah, unless we heard it on the radio, you know, and we're like, oh, that's a George Strait tune. Like, we knew that going in, but a lot of the older uh, catalog, like uh, Ian and Sylvia Mm -hmm. was one that, like, it took me a long time to come around and be like, oh, dang, there's another one. So what, what instruments did you play as kids? What did you start with? Uh, I started with the violin at four and a half, and um, Bonnie started at a similar age on the violin, and then... She um, had too many years advance on me, so I was like, I don't want to play this, and I kept playing it like a cello. Um, so she, but I really started on bass when I was about eight years old. And, yeah, and then picked up the cello as well. Mm-hmm. So. Were you competitive then, as kids? Well, kind of. It was more of like Eleanor was the gold star, and it was kind of like... Either I would try to be as good as her, or I'd say, you know, like, F it, <laughs> try to do something else. Um, <laughs> I was like, she's got this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as kids, were you writing songs, even as little kids? Uh, I can remember writing my first song. Um, I guess I probably um, was already in college by the time I started writing songs. Um, I was really focused on violin performance and studied classical uh, throughout high school and college and got a performance degree. Um, but some sometime in college I started picking up the guitar and um, writing songs because I always wanted to play with songwriters. I was much more interested in playing fiddle and playing by ear and playing in bands. So I was listening to a lot of songwriters and kind of um, started to get some inspiration around them. 
I, I came to it about in high school, and, and we were both playing in, the, like, the Texas music scene, and, you know, uh, which is just rich with, you know, songwriter troubadours and sort of getting the influence of that coming in. And um, for me personally, I was a, a very emotionally driven teenager, so I had to put... <laughs> I had to put that energy somewhere, and I, I found it in songwriting. Yeah, and we had a lot of uh, like role models in Texas growing up. Um, Terry Hendricks. Terry Hendricks or Susan Gibson or um, Sisters Morales, um, uh, the Dixie Chicks is a big one uh, yeah. growing up. So um, The Chicks. Yes, the Chicks. <laughs> <laughs> so you were classically trained. Did you ever find it hard to transition from being classically trained to improv and and playing in a band, for example? I think, you know, I kind of did both. Um, and growing up, you know, dad was having me play by ear and learn fiddle solos um, at a very young age. But I do feel like I spent a lot of time trying to get the, the squareness out of my playing just from the classical music. Um, but um, I grew up uh, studying Western swing and um, studying Johnny Gimbel um, quite a bit. So um, I think a little bit of that uh, rubbed off on me eventually. <laughs> well, I have to go back just a ways because your dad was also a pilot and mm -hmm. he taught you both to fly. Is that? Yep. He did. Um, I soloed at the age of 16, got my license at 17 and um, youngest pilot. Award, yeah. Uh, wow. So started kind of early and then, um, you know, I, I, I thought I might pursue it as a career, but then, um, I ended up getting a music scholarship to college and uh, focusing on that, but um, still, still fly um, when I get a chance. And then Bonnie started a little later. I, I no, I started at the same time. I just um, really had um, a fear of test test taking, so I kind of like qualified to a certain amount, and I could still go and fly the plane by myself and things of that nature. But uh, I would say a few years ago. Um, uh, I was kind of realizing that I wasn't going to be presenting them with any grandbabies. So I figured, why not get that pilot's license official? <laughs> <laughs> so I did, and it was really good. It was a, um, it's a really kind of nice little feather in my cap, and it's nice to have that card, and um, it's great to be able to go up and fly, and now I can be helpful in that regard if we need to trailer some airplanes somewhere. <laughs> As it happens sometimes. So no fear on your, your your part flying. It wasn't really allowed, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, we were practically born in an airplane. I think yeah. my parents joked about uh, inducing, trying to induce labor with both of us by going and um, doing loops. by going up and doing aerobatics. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I went to my first uh, fly-in. They call it. Uh, it's like basically like a festival for airplanes. For airplanes, yeah. like instead of a car show, it's like an air show, and. Um, uh, air, antique airplanes, and I went to my first one of those um, when I was just a few days old. So, so at some point, your your careers, you're both in music, which is pretty amazing, and they went in different directions. And Eleanor, so you you met your husband Chris, and you've been in a band called the Mastersons. But before that, even you met him. Where did y'all meet, actually? Uh, we met at the Steamboat, uh, the Music Fest up at, in Steamboat, Colorado, um, and uh, I guess we met, um, I can never remember the year for some reason, it was like 2004 or five. it was the year that the Rolling Stones uh, played the Super Bowl that year, so. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. 
Did you click immediately? Uh, we did. Um, I I had a boyfriend at the time, so I told him that. And um, that basically, right after we met, I he got the boot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I went home. I was I was already kind of had the the wheels in motion, but um, but yeah, I broke up with the boyfriend, and um, we started dating pretty shortly after. So so not to go down a little rabbit hole here, but was the other boyfriend a musician as well, or? Yeah, he was a drummer. Oh, he was a drummer. Okay, so they were both musicians, so they had that both going for them. But you clicked more with Chris. And uh, so when did you think, we just want to form our own band together? Well, um, I guess when Chris and I met, um, he he first made his EP, solo EP, and then he produced my solo record because I had started writing enough songs by that point to make a record. And... and um, you know, he self-released that, I self-released my record, and then we kind of realized that, well, it's a lot of work to do this, you know, for ourselves. Maybe we should join forces, and at least we can both be focused on the same project. So um, that's kind of how it started. It was a little bit at the urging of uh, Steve Earle, uh, who we were already playing with at the time, and he... He, he, I think he even technically named the band because we were trying to come up with all these band names that, you know, if you Google stuff, it's like all the band names are taken. Yeah. It's really hard to come up with a band name that's original. And um, Steve was like, why don't you just be the Mastersons? <laughs> that, that makes it a little bit easier. Were you touring with Steve? We, we weren't touring with Steve, but we were planning to. Um, and Steve was like, you better have a record um, ready for the tour because I'm going to feature you and you can sell the record. And so we actually sold that record for like a year before we got signed to New West and they put out our first uh, record, Bird Splice Out. So when you guys write music, do you write it together or does one or the other of you write a song and the other person joins in? Um, we usually write together now. Like our first record was kind of like a collection of some that I had started and he had started and then we you know, had a few of those songs um, that we finally started writing together. Now that we've been doing it for so long as a band, we often will just sit down and write it together. But every once in a while, we'll have a moment apart from each other where we might come up with an idea and get started on it before the other person um, helps out. But um, yeah, it's really hard to write a song by myself um, when I live and travel and work with my husband. So. <laughs> he's hearing it, whether he, you know, whether he's, it's, he's clued into that or not, I, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. um, and, and so let's go, let's go back to you, Bonnie. When uh, you moved to Nashville for a bit, you did a stint. You're back in Austin now, but you were in Nashville. And so what was that move like, and, and why were you there? I moved there. I was kind of um, feeling a little burnout with what I was doing in Texas. Um, I, I had a duo with a, another friend called Bonnie and Blythe, and uh, we basically worked our butts off. And you did a lot of covers gigs too. We did a lot of covers gigs. It was just a lot of it wasn't it wasn't the kind of joy that I wanted to get out of playing music is what it ended up being. And uh the focal point was more about like trying to make money rather than trying to make art. And I moved to Nashville just basically thinking um I I'd recently met um Mondo Signs actually through uh Chris Masterson and um uh knew I had a bass gig basically in Nashville and uh so Mondo introduced me to a lot of people, and I played bass with a lot of artists out of Nashville for a few years. And um, 
I met a boy and broke up with a boy and <laughs> as you do. And, um, uh, and then I started playing with Hayes Carl about like 2010 and, and, uh, was back in Texas a lot. So it just kind of felt good to come home. And, um, you know, the past few years I've done a residency at the Continental Gallery and, uh, you know, just really integrated in the scene here that I love. And, uh, I still have a lot of friends and, and people I get to go visit on a regular basis in Nashville. We love Hayes here at Diddy. Mm -hmm. And what did what was it like playing with him and what did you learn from that experience? Uh, he really kind of did a similar thing that Steve did for uh, Eleanor and Chris. You know, he um, brought me out as the opener for the band um, and we toured and I... During that time, I, I wrote um, and recorded my first record um, that Chris Masterson produced. And um, so I was kind of gearing up to start pursuing my solo career again. But uh, Hayes, at that time, was when uh, the that political duet was uh, very popular. And I had the opportunity to sing that a few times. And uh, that's still something that I've gained a lot of fans in, uh, uh, from. So been a blessing. I always wonder from a, the perspective of being a solo artist versus, say, being in a duo or in a band even, is it scarier to put your music out there when it's really just all about you? That's it's a lot, lot of work. A lot of work, a lot of pressure. Um, I, I really like being in a duo where you can divide the responsibilities mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, fronting a, a solo project has never really been I mean, I've done it, but um, I, I like having a partner in crime, uh, for sure. <laughs> well, the responsibility, when you get to just play with somebody, you don't have as much responsibility of, of the all the other wheels that go on behind the scenes than just playing the shows. Um, you know, not it's not just the songwriting, it's not just the performing, it's the, the booking, and it's the, um, the social media and all that kind of stuff that goes into it. So um, it's a lot for one person to shoulder, for sure. Yeah, and I really enjoy being a side musician in a lot of ways. Um, like, I don't stand on the side of the stage back in Steve wishing that I were center stage. I, it's pretty rewarding, um, I think, to to play music with other people, and um, I don't always have to be the center of attention. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. It's, it's actually um, more fun, a little more social, too, I think. Now, you, Eleanor, you live in California, right? I do. Chris and I live in Los Angeles. Uh, we moved out there in 2016, um, but we still come back to Austin quite a bit. So what, how did this new, this album, Ghost Stories, how did this come together? Because you guys aren't living in the same town. There's the pandemic. There's all sorts of stuff going on in the universe. So what was the story behind? We have to thank uh, and blame Chris um, Masterson for that. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to take a break with during the pandemic and come out to LA and, you know, well, visit with family. Been, and we've been locked down for almost the whole year. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, she called in like December and was like, can I come out and visit and join your pod? And we we're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And then Chris was like, you're not just going to come and sit on the couch. Are you like, you guys should make a record. And, um, so, <laughs> so we did, we were, I mean, we've been talking <laughs> about it like, well, Forever. in fairness, we'd started writing some songs together and we've been thinking about it, but had, had we not had the pandemic kind of slow us down, you know, these uh, two are hard to keep up with 
you know, they schedules work, have been kind of crazy. So, um, you know, finding the time for them to make Masterson's songs and, and in the lieu of touring and me doing other things as well. I've been out with McMurtry the past couple of years and, uh, it's just been hard to find time for us to focus on that when we had all these other things that are, you know, pulling us in the other direction. And the pandemic kind of helped, uh, yeah. gave us the opportunity to, you know, actually pursue it. And I'm pretty amazed at how quickly it came together because um, mm -hmm. we, I mean, she already had a couple of pieces of songs and songs that were pretty close. And then I had a couple too. So we had those to start with. And we started writing over Zoom for like two weeks before she came out and um, finished up most of the songs. And, um, and then she came out a second time so we could finish the project, so. I guess you already know that your voices were gonna sound beautiful together, right? Well, we started the recording with us just singing the songs and getting the, the keeper vocals. Yeah, we, um, it, I guess just because of the pandemic, we kind of had to do it a little backwards where we tracked the acoustic guitars, got keeper vocals, and then we took those tracks into the studio and then had Bonnie track live with the drummer mm -hmm. and then put all the overdubs on. Um, so it was a different way to work and I really enjoyed it. Just, it was nice to not have to listen to scratch vocals because usually you go mm -hmm. in and you track with the band and you just kind of have a throwaway vocal. And the gotta... performances were already there, so it was really easy to play too. Did Chris produce the album? He mm -hmm. did. So Ghost Stories, what does that mean exactly? What does the title mean? I kind of was coming at it. I sort of was a, the original thought process also because my last record is called Last Will and Testament. So I thought it would be kind of funny. But <laughs> also mostly when we started writing songs together, we had songs of people that we had lost. And it was just sort of a the reality that we're all in. You know, we've lost a lot of people either close to us or from sickness or like especially in uh, 2016, we lost a lot of our um you know, heroes, you know, so I think it's just universally something that we've all been going through. And I think ghost stories kind of has this, you know, maybe scary for a lot of people, but, um, I think, uh, we spend a lot of time not talking about death and when we're faced with it, it gives us an opportunity to really process the grief that we're all experiencing. Yeah. I, and we've, um, I, I don't know, fans have, um, come to us and, and said how much uh, a song means to them because they lost their mom and, mm -hmm. you know, they'll tell you their personal stories. And I think um, it's really um, can be therapeutic, not only for us um, in writing about someone that we love um, to celebrate and continue their memory on, but um, also to be able to have that connection uh, with the audience. One of the things I loved about the album was how, um, how melodic, this, the tunes are just really incredibly melodic. And of course you have the beautiful harmonies that are wafting through, but they're very memorable uh, songs and lyrics. And uh, um, it's just kind of rare to have someone who focuses that much on the melody, I think. I think it's ingrained in us because of what we, what our background is, you know? Yeah, I think just uh, between like growing up in the eighties and like, listening to pop music on the radio but then like dad listened to a lot of um country music and country music in the 80s wasn't wasn't so pop like it is now and um you know then having going to symphonies and uh opera opera um and you know we just had a lot of uh things to pull from and um you eclectic know, taste from kids like my favorite record growing up as little was like bonnie Raitt's nick of time you know, that's uh, 
not an average sounding record, if that makes sense. Yeah, those memorable songs that the minute you hear them, you're, they're kind of like an earworm, you know, they're stuck in your head. Yeah. And one of those songs on the album for me was Hurtin' for a Letdown. <laughs> it <laughs> just you. goes, it just goes right in to the melody. And I, I just said, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's a very cool song. What, what is that about? Um, it's a, about my addiction to heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> Or as she likes to say, the ghost story of her love life. Yeah. So they're all different versions of ghost stories, you know. Not literal, but also. Well, I I was right there with you. I was, uh, Ronnie and I got married when I was almost 40. And um, we had a, he's six weeks younger than I am. And our wedding planner had the wedding right in between when I was going to turn 40 and when he was not 40. And I said, that is not happening. <laughs> it is going to happen when we're both 39 and then, uh, or when we're both 40, but not right in between. But I, I'm right there with you. A lot of heartache that, that comes from all that dating. And well, I find a lot of inspiration from it, too. So that's where the addiction comes into play. It's, I, I think I, there's a lot of things that I know are a bad idea, but I do it anyway because I know I'm going to get something from it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm going to have to think about that. Um, and so we're going to come back to learn to fly because that brings you right back to we were talking about earlier the fact that that you both learned to fly and um is that what that song is just literally about is growing up it's a kind of insight into how we grew up and i i really wanted to capture that sort of melodicness of what it's like to fly i mean it's a lot of loops and you know, lots of uh, ups and downs. Those and those lovely little air pockets that you hear, where you just kind of go, <laughs> <laughs> and your and so, your heart goes up in your throat or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think mean, yeah, it's a melodic interpretation of of the ride that flying is. And um, I feel like it's about our dad mostly too, because it's just it was it was his love and his world that we experienced so much of that, and the the kind of group of Cessna 180 pilot, 185 pilots that we would, you know, run around with in, in uh, different places through our childhood, you know, they yeah, were, they yeah. were, uh, like a whole group of like 10 pilots and they would all like go on vacations and fly around together. Fly information. Like a, a club. <laughs> yeah. And you guys also have a couple of covers on the album and I kind of wanted to, uh, ask you a little bit about how you chose those covers to, uh, I mean, one of them, the Everly Brothers, I guess, version of a song that Paul McCartney wrote was um, On the Wings of a Nightingale. And why that particular song? A few years back, uh, our friend Will Rigby, who used to play drums with Steve Earle, uh, he had the, the McCartney demo that McCartney sent to the Everlys. And it's just him on acoustic guitar, but with, um, you know, multiple uh, vocals, vocals with the harmony tracks. And... Um, he sent it to the Mastersons, um, thinking that we might want to cover it. And we worked it up, but we just never recorded it or did it live. And then I just kind of had always loved this song. And then um, we were reaching out to our friend Aaron Lee Tashton, and then he suggested the song. And Chris had just remembered it, too, so it was kind of uh, a funny Kismet. coincidence. It and, seemed like it was yeah. perfect. 
and um, a sign kind of and thing. The, the version that the Everly's did is uh, produced by Dave Edmonds, and so it's kind of like in the 80s. Um, but I really love that McCartney demo because he kind of is singing in the style of the Everly's, and it's really cool. Um, so uh, that's one of the covers. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other uh, song, Big Heart, Sick Mind, uh, we were reaching out to Aaron as well to see if he wanted to do some co-writing because we've done some of that in the past, and he was like, well, how about here, this how one? About, how about you just have this song? And we were like, really? Because <laughs> um, it's really cool. And it was just the kind of tempo that we needed for uh, for the record. So, and it's it turned out to be the single. He's the best. Yeah, he's pretty dang talented. I know. It's actually incredible to see how artists in general, how their music goes from one style and over the course of your career, it just it can go in a lot of different directions. I feel like we've always connected with them too for our musical sort of inspirations as well. Yeah, I think we draw on a lot of similar influences for sure. So the last one I wanted to ask you about was Greek tragedy. What when that what is that about? It, it's 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 can we just we've already talked about it. It's about Justin's passing essentially, yeah. Justin Towns Earl. I guess we hadn't really quite decided how much we wanted to talk about that, but um Well it's it's you know, just about that kind of situation where you, you, you see it coming, and it, mm -hmm. and I mean, even with uh, Ricky, where we're talking about like uh, intervention or any of that kind of stuff, it just, you know, I think we all kind of knew that this was a possibility and and wasn't surprised by what happened, but it's shocking. Um, it still hurts a lot. But um, I guess. It's just really especially sad because um, Justin was um, so incredibly his own talent and, um, you know, so similar to his dad in so many ways. And, you know, his his dad kind of showed him the roadmap of, like, here's what not to do. Um, but, you know, Justin had to make those mistakes for himself. And um, Justin, uh, or Steve sobered up... Um, at the age of 39 and, and Justin was almost at that age. Yeah. Um, so it's just really sad to see someone so talented, um, you know, with this fentanyl epidemic um, is, um, you know, definitely snuffing out some lives way too soon. So. Yeah, it's definitely hard as a friend to watch that happen and be on the sidelines for that, for sure. And you can't always prevent it. No. and. I, I think that's the hardest part when you care about somebody and you want to help them. But, you know, we all have to make our own mistakes and, um, you know, that's how we learn. Um, and um, it's just a, a tragic accident, you know. Well, and for folks like that, we can we can be blessed that we had them as long as we did. He was such a talent. He was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but that song in particular, I don't know, it's... I think when you're writing a, a song with really heavy subject matter, I've always, um, I really like um, in yeah. having the melody be uplifting and kind of take you out of the sadness of the lyrics. I think if you pair really cutting and sad lyrics with a really sad, sad melody, that it can be too much and a little overwhelming. Um, and so there's a lot of um, uh, fun uh, elements uh, to that track um, that are very celebratory and whimsical. Yeah. So. yeah, that's a very good point. The juxtaposition between 
something that's a little more uplifting melodically with a heavy subject um, maybe helps people get through that song in a certain way. And uh, I guess I should also note that um, our friend Hattie Webb um, put the beautiful harp parts on there, um, kind of the heavenly harp. And uh, if, for those that don't know Hattie Webb, uh, she and her sister, the Webb sisters, um, performed with uh, Leonard Cohen and uh, Tom, Tom Petty. Petty. Um, so we're just a few names. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty lucky that she um, we um, that she joined us on that track. Oh, amazing! Well, I thought Ghost Stories is it was just incredible. Um, it's 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 in my rotation now, and I have to ask: Are you guys gonna put out another album? Well, I think Compass would like for us to. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the most uh, rewarding um, musical collaborations um, in my career, which is saying a lot. And, um, you know, Bonnie and I didn't always get along growing up, and so we kind of had to... We to, needed our separation in order to... do our own to... thing um, for a while, but now that we've grown uh, so much closer in our, in our old age... <laughs> Um, you can't speak hold. for yourself. <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, it's a lot easier for us to make music now that we get along. Well, I think we've always loved each other, but now we really like each other too. So, um, and especially my kind of thought process too is after going through something like a pandemic, like we have been, it's, I really want to spend my time, uh, with the people that I love the most and have it be the most quality time that I can make. So this is, uh, exactly where I want to be. Well, I'm looking forward to the next album, and I would encourage everyone to go out and get a copy of Ghost Stories. Um, you guys, it's just, it's been amazing talking to you, and great album, and I'm so glad that you could stop by Diddy TV. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with the Whitmore sisters. To learn more about Eleanor and Bonnie and what they have planned for this year, and to purchase their upcoming LP, Ghost Stories, visit the Whitmore Sisters or CompassRecords.com. And remember, you can visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content and download the official free Diddy TV app from your app store today. Explore today's must-have trends and innovative styles at Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. Shop one-of-a-kind finds in today's must-have trends. Explore wall-to-wall deals, furniture, flooring, mattresses, home accents, seasonal favorites, and more. Discover unique new home decor, pillows, accessories, and more. There's something perfect for your style and budget. There's new inventory every day at up to 80% off suggested retail. Discover the style and savings of Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of.